what a privilege for me to be back here with you all. Um, once again, I remember uh, so well back there in the, the narthex is what they call it, right? Where 25, almost 25 years ago, I was able to marry Leah. And, and um, it's been nice to step um, back in here to visit with you all on occasion. And it's always a great privilege and pleasure for us. See your love and see God continue to use you here. And so we're thankful. Thank you so much again for your participation with us in Brazil. It was wonderful to receive a team, was it? In 21, I believe, my memory. And uh, you guys helped us do a lot of things and um, we're still enjoying all those things that you helped us do there and built. So once again, thank you and please come back and visit us again. Uh, today I would like to look at... Um, uh, a famous passage with you. It's going to be from the book of Romans. So if you want to head in that direction, um, we'll do that. First of all, Romans chapter 11 will be I'm going to look at verses 36 through chapter 12, verse 2. Some of the more famous uh, text in, in all of Scripture. But um, just let's warm up with a little background to the text, give some context. Um, to, to the text this morning it teaches that God alone deserves glory. And as, as, as you may know, um, in Brazil we've started a ministry uh, alongside some of the other things that we've been doing as far as teaching in the seminaries and um, uh, working with area of biblical counseling, we started a project called Soli Deo Gloria. So this is something that's close to our heart, this, this phrase. And it comes from this text this morning in Romans 11, uh, 36. It teaches that God alone deserves glory. Um, r- chapter 12 and verse 2 says that one of the ways we glorify God is by renewing our minds. Um, so we need to think biblically about every, every area of life. And there's so many things going on in this world today, are there not? Uh, but really, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Uh, the Bible instructs us there's only two kinds of people. One kind of person lives for the glory of God, and the other kind of person lives for the glory of of self or for the glory of this world. There's only those two kinds of people. Those who worship God or those who worship the creation, some aspect of the creation. It could be self, it could be things, it could be glory, it could be power, it could be pleasure, uh, money. There's all sorts of things that people worship, but whatever it is, there's only these two categories of absolute and total commitment. Or it's going to be for God, or it's going to be for anything else. And that anything else would be part of that which God created. Those who live for the glory of God have their path clearly laid out before them. And so do those who live for the glory of the creature. Uh, they, they live for idolatry. And that kind of directs every aspect of their life as well. The plan of action Um, is built upon these foundational worship realities for all people uh, across the history of the world. And so there's this great antithesis, this this war um, of of worship that happens and has always happened. 
Um, there's two different goals and there's two conflicting worldviews, two ultimate commitments that are at war. Anything dealing with God, the transcendent, the one who is above and the creator of the universe, anything that deals with him, uh, the Trinity, substitutionary atonement, the virgin birth of Christ, uh, the resurrection, all those sorts of ideas, the world neglects, they diminish, it's not important to them, it's not relevant in their life. Um, They really hate those kinds of uh, uh, truths because they worship the creature. They do not like the idea of a transcendent God who is infinite in power and glory and justice. They reject these truths. They want to focus just on this world. They want to focus on man, on nature, and God is excluded. And so they have a faith in the glory, in the power of man. That's what they live for. And so we see these two kinds of people and uh, these worldviews, these ultimate commitments are are wreaking havoc across our world as it always has, but we're, we're seeing it so clearly in our day once again, aren't we? In various ways, we could mention all the practical ways in which these ideas, these ultimate commitments have so much practical implication for our world. I was reading, I actually maybe shamefully bought a book recently because I saw it, because sometimes I want to try to track some of these world trends and leaders and, and see what they're saying. And since they're all saying the same thing, you know, they're, they're trying to help us worship the creature rather than the creator. They won't go out and say that clearly, but this is how um, one world influencer named Yuval Harari uh, writes. He's, uh, he's the kind of intellectual that will be invited to the great world um, you know, uh, meetings, uh, uh, the big ones where the rich and famous will be there. Um, they'll espouse at these ideas, their ideas for the future of humanity and where uh, the world should go. And so his book is entitled Sapiens, A Brief History of Humanity. And this is how it starts. Now, this book is endorsed by Bill Gates and by Barack Obama and other world leaders like that. So you see what they're drinking, what what ideas they're accepting and, and what they're going after when you read a book like this. And it starts like this. The first words are, 13.5 billion years ago, matter and energy arise. Physics begins, atoms and molecules form the beginning of chemistry. You see, the, uh, the, the, the neglect of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so uh, everything is built upon that idea that there is no God. And so they seek justice and equality and fraternity and this utopia for man, all apart from God and his word. They forsake the fountain of living waters and they try to find life. with broken cisterns and broken ideas, as Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 2.13. They have a gospel, a good news of earth renewal through human wisdom and human power. And so recently, at least in the past couple years, all over the world, they told us that we should not worship God together because, because that could lead to public health concerns. So man... Um, summing up this 
introduction here and his attempt using autonomous reason, that is reason apart from God, without God, they want to analyze the data of the world apart from his word. And they've abandoned God. And, and, and so we see the consequences of that all over the world. To man alone belongs the glory is their theme, is their banner. That's what they, they won't sing that maybe, you know, in a, in a hymn, uh, literally, but that is what we should deduce from their worship. To man alone is the glory. Now, this rebellion is seen, and this is all kind of hopefully context for where we're going in looking at Romans chapter 11. Um, this rebellion has been a reality of human life ever since the fall. This is no new thing, as, as the Bible teaches. There's nothing new under the sun. This is the same sort of rebellion, different flavors throughout the different centuries, uh, but uh, it's, it's all been the same, different manifestations of this. And we should be knowledgeable as God's people if we want to be able to help. We want to understand the forms in which uh, the devourer is trying to seek uh, the lost and, and, and devour even those who are in the church with, with new ideas. We should be aware of those things as much as possible. And what are the applications and implications in and, and all areas of life for these idolatrous ideas? Um, we don't review all of them because you, you just think about what's happening in our world over the past two or three years, you know. The last time I was here, uh, Seattle was, in a sense, burning, burning down Minneapolis as well. And so you remember those, those ideas are actually hitting the ground. And we, we pray that um, it doesn't become too militant in America as it has in, in the recent past, just 150 years ago or less, uh, we've seen... Uh, millions and millions slaughtered because of these same kinds of ideas. And so how far will this go? We really don't know. Psalm 2 says, Why do the heathens rage, the nations rage, excuse me, and the people plot a vain thing? They, they have their ideas, right? They're, they're organized and they're, they're making an agenda for the world. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They actually do this. Against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. We don't want to deal with the Judeo-Christian view of the world anymore. Let's, let's break away from it and let's, let's find a new way for humanity. Well, what shall we do as God's people? What should the church of Jesus Christ do? What does God call you to do in the in midst of this chaos that is being played out here in America and across the world? Well, God's word teaches us that our central objective in life is to glorify God. That's it. That's the answer. God is man's highest good. And we can't love God or our neighbor truly if we do not live out and proclaim the reality of soli deo gloria. Now that means to God alone be the glory in, in Latin. So we'll use that phrase um, this morning. Living soli deo gloria is how you engage in the battle today that's raging around us. Now you're going to need the courage to live for God's glory. Um, you will have to go against complicated trends all around you. Um, you can't be devoted to God and also be led by the philosophically inspired radicalism driven by misguided notions of human life and reality. You can't follow both. 
So let's then now examine God's word and look what he has to say about human life. Quickly, just um, we'll do some quick background looking at some other texts in Romans and um, uh, just the background of really the, the word of God as we're trying to arrive here at Romans chapter 11 again. Let's go back really quick to the beginning. And this is so basic to us, so we'll do it very quickly. There, man is made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. He's made perfect. He's made in a loving uh, relationship with God and fellowship and communion with God. He was a son of God by creation, and God spoke with him and had communion with man. And man lived for the glory of God originally. When there was no sin in this world, that was our purpose, and that's what we were created to do. That's what's truly natural in that sense. It's the best way to live. That's the way God made us. It was a paradise on earth. Men were righteous and holy. Well, what happened? Genesis chapter 3, you know that story very well, the story of humanity. What has happened to you and your your parents and and the nations? Um, well, you're going to have to have courage to defend this biblical view of the fall. Genesis chapter 3, you remember the story. Satan enters in. The deceiver deceives man. And they start to worship the creature rather than the creator. That's what happens. It's a, it's a worship issue. It's a worship battle that's going on. And um, sadly, man fell into a state of sin and misery. And Genesis, Romans 1 then 18, getting now to uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans 1, he says, let me just go through a few texts here. And uh, Elder Marshall read some of this this morning. Um, Romans 1, 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That happened in the fall and that will hap- that's exactly what happens today. There's unbelief. They do not trust in God. They do they not worship God? They do not believe in God. They do not love God. And Romans 1.25, so what has happened to man? They have changed the truth of God for a lie and they worship the creation rather than the creator. That's exactly what Apostle Paul is teaching us about what has happened to man. In Romans chapter 2, Paul goes on to explain that all um, are condemned, both Jew and Gentile. All are fallen, all are oppressed by other men, and all are oppressors because we're sinners by nature and by practice. In both ways, we are sinners. Romans chapter 3, so we're going to fly really quick now. You know that it's one of the most famous uh, texts about the sinfulness of man. None is righteous, no, not one, remember? Um, verse 18, just jumping down to the end. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of God is loving God and worshiping Him. It's the combination of reverence for His power and His beauty and His glory and His uh, you know, infinite nature mixed with love because of the gospel. He, although He is so powerful and glorious, He comes down and loves man and gives us His own Son for us. And so therefore, they, they, we, we, have the, we should have the fear of God, but they have no fear of God before their eyes. They do not see His glory and power, nor do they see, um, they ne- neglect, uh, better said, uh, His glory and power and love. 
And so this fall happens. It's a spiritual death. So uh, you know all this very well. This is basic to our uh, whole understanding of Scripture. Man deserves nothing after the fall. Please hear this. Man deserves nothing. God is under no ethical obligation to extend an arm of saving power to those rebels. They chose to go away from God. He is under no ethical obligation. He created man in a perfect state of fellowship and peace and love. And they rejected this infinitely holy and good God. Eternal death would be just for denying this eternal God. And after the fall, then, of course, man is destitute of earning favor. He can't do something that would attract God's love. He's spiritually dead. Now, this is the biblical and then authoritative view of man. Now, if you go study anthropology almost in any school, in any university, they will totally neglect this reality of man. They say he's good, he's beautiful, more self-esteem, etc. But this is the biblical and authoritative view of man. Man has fallen from his original position of imaging God, of being an image bearer of God. And so that knowledge, righteousness, and holiness that existed with man only is just a small dash of that broken image exists today in man. But God intervenes in that corrupt and dead world. He intervenes in human history with grace and mercy upon man. And so through faith and salvation in Christ, there is a hope for a return. And there's a hope for us that the image of God, it can, it can be restored progressively in our lives, first of all through his salvation and then as we live out um, those truths in our lives. And that is the direction, obviously, that we must go continually. That is our call in life. Um, man was made in the image of God that was lost in the fall, broken into a thousand images. After salvation, we as God's people, as his bride and as his children, were called to become once again more like him. And so that's the goal of our lives, godliness. Some call it piety, progressive sanctification, becoming more like Christ. We could say it as restoring the image of God. The holiness, all biblical ways to describe the goal of our lives. So we've just been reminded once again, briefly and quickly, of the fall of man. Now let's proceed uh, to remind ourselves of God's grace and his mercy in light of that fall. And so this, once again, is just a quick review, and then we'll get right to Romans 11, the all backdrop. Um, We already spoke of Total depravity, and we saw that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every aspect of man's being, his relationships are impacted by the fall. It's corrupted. His thinking is corrupted. His um, desires are corrupted. His heart is corrupted. His physical body is corrupted. And as we get older and older, all of us, we see the corruption. And the total, the way that sin has impacted every area of our life. And as well, his mind is impacted. Um, um, 
what do you call that in theology, the noetic effects of sin. And that means God, man can't reason to God anymore. They must reason from God. He is the source of truth. We can't um, use reason and find God because our reasoning capacities have been as well broken by the fall. And so the, the impact of this, once again, I remember Brazil a few years back, there was a great crisis. It was called Zika. Um, and it was a lot of babies were being born and they were deformed. Um, and, and it just, it was a great, uh, there's a lot of, lot of cases of this happening, especially in, in our region of Brazil, the north, northeast, which is uh, considered the more poor part of the country. Um, and there's a very plausible argument that uh, botched vaccines uh, caused many of these deformities. But this truth will never be let out. The Olympics were going on. The World Cup was going on. Brazil was on a rage with, with growth and prosperity. And they just suppressed this because it makes the powerful and rich look bad. And so it's just, just done away with them. This is some of the practical effects of the fall of man. Truth will be um, contaminated as well. So we learn in these texts, uh, this background in these introductory chapters to, uh, the, in the book of Romans, we, we learn so clearly that if man is to receive grace and kindness or favor, salvation from God, it has to be undeserved grace, right? Because man is dead, he can do nothing. We were all looters, uh, from birth, we all tried to steal uh, from God's glory. We wanted to live for ourselves. We attempted to steal the glory that alone belonged to God. He will not share it with another, but that was our attempt. That's our reality. But you know that some of those looters, they were, it was happening once again in Seattle a couple years ago. Some of those looters may very well come to Christ because it depends upon his grace, because we were all born that way. It does not depend upon the goodness of the person, because we all have fall short. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so this is the only true and great divide amongst men. And now the professors of the world are, are trying to teach us something else. There's all sorts of other divides, and we need to figure those all out. But the Bible tells us this is the great divide between men, saved by grace alone or those who reject God. We also learn in these texts that if we are um, to be saved, um, it will be a particular love. We learn that in chapter 8 of Romans. We also learn in chapter 9 that um, his love overpowers man's resistance to his grace. And, and so it's irresistible grace. We read that in chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. We also learn of, uh, in Romans 8, that we will persevere to the end. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so we praise the Lord for all these truths. Now those are all, uh, what we've just seen are the basic uh, doctrines of the gospel that the reformers saw so clearly. Sola gratia, sola scriptura. Uh, soli fide, soli Cristo. Now we want to get, well, why did they finish with soli Deo gloria? To God alone be the glory. And I hope you see how this all fits in so clearly, this whole system of theology. Now let's get to Romans eleven thirty two, 32, 
And where it says, as you well know, for God has committed, this is verse 31, all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Let me, get, let me read it from the word instead of from my notes here. For God has consigned all to disobedience, 32, that he may have mercy on all. And then we hear these words. Well, we just saw that truth, right? In Romans chapter 3, for God has committed all to disobedience. They're all sinners. And then verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The text starts out saying, For God has committed them all to disobedience, all to disobedience, both Jew and Gentile, all. All the descendants of Adam, they're born sinners because of the rebellion. He's our federal head and we sinned in him and we sinned by, so we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by practice. Then the text goes on, oh, the depth of the riches, the depth of the riches. It's marvelous and abundant grace. The depth of the riches then of his grace. After expressing all that the spirit of God directed the apostle Paul to write, which we've just reviewed, right? The story of humanity, the fall, uh, the rebellion. Did, my, did this fall? It fell. Okay. My fault. See if I can get this back on here. If not, there we go. We, we, we've seen what the Spirit of God wrote through the Apostle Paul about the reality of the fall of man. They worship the creature rather than creator. That's the background of this statement, of this doxology, the depth of the riches. We've been enlightened of this profound mystery of man. So the Apostle Paul then, he bursts out in this song of praise about the riches and the knowledge of God. Um, as man studies the beautiful creation of God, he, he, he learns some things, of, of certainly, of the glory and the majesty of God. Now we're going into outer space and we're seeing, you know, now it looks like billions of galaxies. I mean, it just boggles the mind. And so we see the power of God. Man can see some of that. And some of the general knowledge which God has given into his creation, man studies it and they see the amazing order within the 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 small structures of the atom. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so, therefore, men are without excuse because the the world, the way that the man is made, his conscience, and as well as the beauty of this universe, and it's all being held together by God every single day. All the molecules of our body are all organized and life proceeds. And so we must see... uh, the glory of God in all this, it's called general revelation. 
the mind of man is not able to uh, fully search that, even that out, general revelation, but certainly they can't understand special revelation, the amazing grace of God. They have difficulty even understanding the world and they're confused by it. And when it, when it gets down to the absolute sense, they really know nothing because they say we came from nothing. But his amazing grace is what's unsearchable here as we see in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. It's beyond our comprehension. It's unsearchable. The revelation of God's mercy in Christ is better than life itself. It's unsearchable. We can't uh, get to the bottom of the glory of his salvation. It's beyond our possibilities. But knowing of his love and his salvation is the greatest good for man. There's nothing that can compare. For all of eternity, we will grow in our understanding of the infinite depth of his love. That's what we will be doing, and we will understand for all eternity, attempting to understand this better. For now, we can only see a glimpse of the glory as as the word comes to our heart. We have a much fuller image than Moses or David had but we still can't fully take it in. It's unsearchable. Now, some of us, you know, we, we, we might have a problem with evil, right? How does evil get in the world? But what is truly unsearchable in past finding out is the mystery of redeeming love. That's what truly is, that's maybe what should intellectually bother us. Why would God love a people and send his son to those who were rebels and rejected him? That's the deep question we should really have. I mean, we can understand the judgment of sinners because of the fall. It makes logical sense. But to understand grace, that's truly marvelous and beyond us. Why? Has he been so kind? It's unsearchable. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The text goes on to say, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has been his counselor? Who's wiser than God? Who could have done it better? Could a creature have done better than the creator? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one gave to God. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For of him and through him and to him for of him. So argument upon argument, the Apostle Paul mounts up this praise, this doxology to God. A doxology is a hymn, an anthem of praise. We see another one in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
in a lot of liturgies and churches throughout history, uh, we, we sing a doxology. Hallowed be thy name. Because this is the high vision of God that is essential to live a life solely day of glory. We must have a high view of God. A low view of man and a high view of his grace leads to a doxological life, a, a hymn of praise to God for his grace. Of him, for of him and through him and to him are all things, all things, all men. The whole universe was created by God from nothing. So it's all of him. We are totally dependent upon him right now for our life and breath, aren't we? We're sustained by his power. So it's all of him, for of him and through him. We are God's possession. We are of him. We belong to him because he created us. And even importantly than that, he redeemed us. So we belong to him by creation power and we belong to him by redeeming love. He's bought us with his own precious blood. So for of him... And through him now, through him, creation and redemption happen through him. These are the great acts of God. He created all things. That's why we see everything around us. And in history, he is redeeming a bride, a new people. The first Adam failed. The second Adam arises a servant who never failed. The first Adam was in a paradise and disobeyed. He had everything and rebelled. The second Adam was in a desert and had nothing and was at the brink of death but decided to worship and glorify God. And in him, we have the victory for of him and through him this redemptive work happens everything that you do even is through him because you're a part of his creation so all your works are done through him you glorify God when in your conscience you understand that God is the source and power for every task every work everything you do soli deo gloria it's not about me it's not about our project it's not about sending missionaries into the world it's all about the glory of God is done through him Acts 17 tells us, for in him we live and move and have our being. We can't escape the reality of his presence, of his providence, of his promise. He's omnipresent and he knows all things and he's present with us now. For in him we live, so it's through him. And so the church, we glorify God when we acknowledge that all blessing and riches come from him. God's people say, Lord willing, we will do such and such. Praise the Lord for his kindness. And we also honor God when the hardships fall our way. We honor him by trusting in his providence and remaining calm during the storm. He's present. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him, solo deo gloria, is the only proper way to live for this creator and this redeemer. The, God, the job of God's people, this is our job, is to declare his glory 
among the nations. And that's why we send missionaries, right? And that's why we do missions here in Plainfield, Indiana, to declare his glory to the utter ends of the earth. We belong to him, and so we live to him, as Apostle Paul uses that word. I want to recite to you an old catechism that sums this idea up well. I'm going to try to translate it from Portuguese. My only comfort in life and in death, my only comfort is that body and soul, in life and in death, I belong to the Lord Jesus. I do not belong to myself. I belong to the Lord Jesus, my faithful Savior, who with his own blood paid for all of my sins and gave me freedom from the dominion of sin. He protects me so well that against the will of my Father in heaven, I cannot lose one few, one strand, okay, of my, of my hair. In truth, all things work together for my good and for my salvation. Therefore, by his Spirit, he also guarantees to me life eternal and makes me willing from now and forever to live for him with my whole heart. So the response to this great salvation is in the reality of the fall, the reality of his grace, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life promptly and securely. And now we're just going to conclude with what he continues to say after this doxology. And you know so well, maybe it's some of the most famous verses of Scripture. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Therefore, I beseech you. Therefore, by the mercies of God, that which we just examined in all of Romans, the fall and the reality of all those things, I'm talking to you now, says Paul, based upon those realities that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, so present your bodies. What does that mean? Well, bodies means everything you are. Is there anything outside of your body that is not a part of you? Well, yeah, there's a lot of things outside of us. But everything that's in this body is is the whole you, the soul, the emotions, the thoughts, it's all within, caged within this body. So body means everything you are, the whole of yourself. You do not belong to yourself. Now our resurrected lives are dedicated to God. We're in Christ. We belong to him. We just read that. You can no, no longer live for your own vision of life or seek your own king, kingdom. That's what it means to Give your lives a living, your bodies a living sacrifice. It means no to my kingdom and yes to his. And then the verse goes on to say, it's a, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And in a sacrifice, there is death, right? Well, Christ died and with him we have died. So a living sacrifice, a self-renunciation. Now, We'll devote all of our lives, our thoughts, our strength, our heart, our minds, our hands to the glory of God. Every area of thought brought subject to the obedience of Christ. So enlist yourself in the academy of Christ. 
Discipline your life for godliness. Exercise yourself in godliness. In other words, love the church. Love his bride. Love the preaching of the word. Prepare your heart for it. Love the baptisms, the Lord's Supper, singing in corporate worship and in private worship at home, reading the word, living sacrifice. Pray, repent of your sins, meditate on the word of God, die to yourself, take up your cross daily, obedient living. Those are all aspects of take up your cross and follow me, a living sacrifice, holy an acceptable God. This is a holy sacrifice. It, it honors God. And holiness should permeate every area of our lives, our relationships, our speech, our thinking. And when we grow in holiness, we become more like God because he's holy. And that's the way we glorify him, by becoming more like him. The last word this morning is about our reasonable service. This is, this is reasonable service, it says. Um, th- this idea of, of a living sacrifice, a living for the glory of God, dying to self, it's, it's reasonable service. It's the correct way to serve God. It makes sense, it's logical in the light of his salvation to a lost people. It makes sense. That if he bought me, I, I live for him. It's reasonable service. He, he created you and all things. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, and the history of redemption declares his holiness and justice and love. And these reasons, for these reasons, um, our thankful gratitude, gratitude to him is reasonable service. Holy, holy, holy is what our God is. He belongs to him, belongs glory. And so it's reasonable once again for us to live this way. Don't conform yourself to the world. The text, and for this morning our text finalizes, do not be conformed to this world. We can't think as Christians as the fallen world does. We must live for the glory of God while the world seeks the glory of the creature, of man. They're opposing, they're in antithesis. So we have to have a a mindset of warfare against idolatrous thinking. No to the evil and vanity that resides within us. No to that as well, because that as well is worldly thinking. And so we have to engage in this warfare against the old man. That should be the focus of our battle, shouldn't it? Um, That's what Jesus tells us. Take the log out of your own eye. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Progressive sanctification. Renew your mind day by day, putting off the old man and putting on the new. A daily habit of life that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then we will know as we do this, as we live the sacrificial life, as we renew our minds, we will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We, we put on his thinking, right? We carry the cross and renounce our own wisdom. 
and we give our lives exclusively to the will of God that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the true and real, genuine human heart. Knowing and obeying the will of God. True humanity thinks this way. And so, brothers and sisters, let's uh, live this life of gratitude for all that he has done. This is the way uh, to grow in godliness. This is the foundation and the, the spring of the sacrificial living, gratitude for his great grace. So uh, I know we started with, you know, those, those dark doctrines of the reality of the fall, and many people get offended by that. They don't want to have this low view of man, but until you see the biblical doctrine and the low view of the sinfulness of man, the reality of our idolatrous rebellion, the gospel of grace will never be so beautiful to us. But when we can see ourselves for what we really are, miserable sinners, even after we have received the amazing grace of God and the power of his resurrected life, we still forget. We still sin on a daily basis, but his love is steadfast. He never fails. And so as we see our failings, we can look up and see his continual mercy to us and therefore live this life of gratitude and be willing to sacrifice our lives for his glory. That's a reasonable and the right way to think. And so let's think that way for his glory. It's the best life in this fallen world is to live. Sola Deo Gloria. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we I've reflected this morning upon your amazing grace that has come and visited this this world that was lost in darkness and sin because of rebellion, because of the fall of man when we started to worship the creature rather than the creator. How we praise you and thank you for your redeeming love that you did not leave man in a state of sin and misery but for some reason unknowable, unsearchable providence of love, you came down and decided to save and create a people for your glory and did not leave them. And so we praise you that we can be that people who know you and who serve you, who know your love, who know your redeeming love. Help us to live a life of praise to you no matter the circumstances we are in because you deserve it all and we know that. So transform us, help us to renew our mind according to these great truths of the gospel and of your word, we pray. Continue to bless this church and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.